This is episode 22 of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagined. Or maybe they didn't imagine it, but have become super successful at what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business. Or they found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Libby Wildman, head of wealth advisory at Davis Ray, creator of Liminal Escapes, and founder of The Collective. Libby founded her own wealth management company over 30 years ago and has been working in the financial world to help people achieve their goal of financial freedom faster. For many years, she found herself being the only female in the boardroom and decided to form The Collective to bring women together give them a place and allow them to do business on their own terms. She has also just launched Liminal Escapes to bring people together who have a desire to explore themselves on a deeper level. Libby creates an environment that encourages freedom of thought and movement. Liminal Escapes offers retreats for small groups of adventurers to come together for a unique experience in a magical place with experts that will provide them with a transformational experience. This is perfect for people that crave community, adventures in nature, and self-discovery. I'm not sure if you've noticed yet, but Libby loves helping people and is a natural connector. That is at her core. She is always asking how she can help and is more than willing to support people in their endeavors. If Libby can help you, she will. And if she can't, she just might connect you to the person that can help you. One of the things I appreciate about Libby is her willingness to share and connect to the right people. She is warm, welcoming, and goes above and beyond to create meaningful events, and is an exceptional example of a female who goes above and beyond to create opportunities for women in the entrepreneurial space. So Libby, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I feel, Janet, like I could, you know, die and go to heaven and not have to wait for my funeral for people to say nice things. Like, honestly, I just was sitting here listening to you and normally when someone introduces you, it's uncomfortable um, because it's just, you know, initials behind their name and accolades. But that actually really, really touches my heart, what you said, because those are things that I, um, I'm i actually really conscious of every day that those are, are things that are important to me. So... Obviously, you've done a lot of work just thinking about it. So thank you. Thank you. Well, actually, it didn't take me a lot of work (laughs) because I honestly believe those things about you. Like, I think that you display those characteristics and qualities all the time. So it, it was really quick for me to be able to write that. So... Thank you for making that easy for me. (laughs) And so I originally met Libby in 2018 through another female powerhouse, Paola from Sugar Moon Salon. Um, She had actually been to the collective and suggested that I would love it. Yeah. So she put the two of us in touch so I could learn more about it. And after one short phone call with you, I was in. Yeah. Well, which would never be short, Janet. Let's be honest. (laughs) It was a long call. And, you know, what would what was be not to love about having you come to any events? So for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was in, though. Once I yep. talked to you, that's yep. for sure. And then I think since then I've been to about four meetings. And each one was so great. And I've had the opportunity to meet so many other women in Toronto that were also running their own business. And it's such a great community that you have pulled together. 
And I know how challenging it can be to build a group of busy, like-minded people, get their schedules to align to attend an event. So congratulations on pulling that off. That's yeah. no easy feat. You know, it's, it's really funny because I think about there's so many women's entrepreneur groups out there, which is wonderful. Um, and so I sort of think, you know, like what, what, what stands out about mine and how did I learn how to do this? And, and what's really unique is that I do take the time to get to know every single woman before she comes to the meeting. And I usually take them for lunch. I even pay for lunch because it really wasn't a business for me. It was a passion. And I wanted women immediately when they walked in on the day of the collective event to feel comfortable. And I could go up and hug them and say, hey, welcome. And oh my God, you better here meet Janet. And this is who's at your table. And, and as you know, the women would email me their business concern that week. And then I would sit them at a table with other women that could help them. But all of a sudden it hit me. I learned how to do this because my parents loved having parties. <laughs> and I can totally remember being in my puffy little dresses at age 12 and 13 and, you know, getting drinks at the bar for my parents' friends that my parents would be like, okay, so so-and-so is coming. Have something to say for yourself. Look people in the eye. And it's a skill that you learn, right? How do you welcome people? How do you make them feel comfortable? But the win is if they feel comfortable, then there's an immediate change of energy in the room and women and, and well, anybody will, will open up, right? That much faster and share, which is pretty much what every kind of interaction is ultimately about is how do you share and get to the point where both people can win from it. So, so little did my parents know that treating, teaching me to be a hostess was going to be some business skill. <laughs> Use down the road. Some business skill. Very yeah. valuable yeah. business skill for yeah. sure. Because I think, you know, with the collective, I love that you have that come with a problem you want to solve because it automatically gives everybody something to talk about. I also love that you curate who's in the group um, because it puts people kind of at the same level. It does put them at comfort and ease. And, you know, a lot of these women are strong, independent. You would think coming to an event would be no problem. I'm going to talk to whoever. But even when you're walking into an event, you do make everybody feel so comfortable and put them at ease. Like that is a skill and a talent that you have. You know, it comes, Janet, from the fact that I feel uncomfortable in a lot of situations. And, and you know, I know people say, oh, really? But it's like, no, I there's a lot of groups and communities where I actually don't feel that welcome and I feel like I stick out. And and so one of the criteria to join the collective other than, you know, be a woman and, and have your own business was I had to like you. That was it. <laughs> I just needed to have a natural oh, connection God, with I you. The test. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that was truly it. I just wanted a place where I felt comfortable because I do feel so uncomfortable going to these things. So I think when there's that natural chemistry and, you know, I mean, that plays into liminal escapes, the retreats that plays into helping people with their money stories that, you know, if I'm sitting with somebody and talking to them about estate planning or investing their money, if they don't feel comfortable with me, if they don't trust me, what the heck, man, why, why would they hand over their life to me? So I know when a client or a potential client comes in, whether it's going to turn into something or not, just by how naturally we get along. And, and I just also think, why wouldn't you want to build a business with people that you naturally get along with? Yeah, it's true. But we're all too afraid to say no to a piece of business. And in the end, those people that you say yes to are often the ones that end up wasting your time because they don't listen to you, because they don't trust you or agree with you or, or whatever it is. So 
everything I do is really comes back to, um, I love people. I love their stories. I love helping them. I will for sure introduce them to other people if I can't help them. But it all comes back to whether there's a natural simpatico going on. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So let's, um, like, I, I don't know a lot about you because we only met in 2018, which yep. might seem like a yeah. long time ago yeah. to people. But um, I want to know everything about you. Everything. <laughs> so why don't we start with, like, your backstory? So we'll talk a little bit about your history, like where did you grow up, what was it like, and what were you passionate about as a young girl? And then we'll move into like how you even ended up in this industry and starting your own business. Sure. So that makes me think of the weddings I went to and when somebody got up to say, well, in kindergarten, I met the bridesmaid. <laughs> anyway, so I grew up in Lauren Park, Mississauga, which I like to call the Great White Bubble because it really was a very homogeneous community. And I love adventure and different people and things like that. So I was never so happy as to move to the city as, as soon as I could. Um, but I went to an all-girls school for grade 7 to 10, I guess, St. Mildred's. And one of the good things about being in a small school, because it was only 500 kids from grade kindergarten to grade 13, was you got on everything. So you get, you made every team you showed up for, you got on to every play, there was always a part for you, and that was wonderful, except that it just got too small. And so then I went to Lauren Park High School, which was 1,400 kids, and I can remember walking in the front hallway of that school and literally almost fainting because I don't know if you're like this, but I don't worry about something until the moment hits me, <laughs> right? And that is like, whoosh. But the reason it was good is because I had got used to being involved in things at a smaller school. So I sort of continued on with that at, at the larger school. Um, but really, my joy was in swimming. I was just... Um, I was really, I was good at it, but I enjoyed it. But the reason I did it, I'll tell you this, is um, I wouldn't say I'm daddy's girl, but everybody in our family loved my dad. My dad was sort of a larger than life character. He was just a lot of fun, always had a great joke. Everybody loved him. And like I used to race my dog to the door to be the first to say hi to my dad. <laughs> and all of us, I have an older brother and a younger brother, we were sort of all competitive looking for my dad's love. And my dad loved adventure. Like he literally would encourage us to take risks. Or at least this is the way I, I sort of thought about it. So my dad was this amazing swimmer, so I wanted to be an amazing swimmer. I was always told, you'll learn how to throw a baseball like a boy. And I can remember being given lessons by my dad in the back, how to throw a baseball like a boy, you know? <laughs> how to parallel park like a boy. So I always grew up thinking, oh, I should have been born a boy. And I was just like incredibly uh, driven and, and competitive with my brothers to, to try and fulfill that role. And... Um, so yeah, it's it's funny how your childhood shapes you that way, right? Because yeah. then I ended up being in this this all male industry. But um, yeah. yeah, so you, I I think I also read you went to Western University. Yeah, and then what did you take at Western? Like, how did you end up in finance? Yeah, well, so I went to Huron because I was afraid of going to a big school like Western, and it was a college just across the street, and you could take some courses on the mainland. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do, Janet. I mean, I graduated high school early because back then I was a January born birthday baby. So I actually skipped a grade. And so I was able to finish half a year early. 
worked at the spaghetti factory as the hostess with the mostest. You laugh about this. I actually used to take school kids. Um, they would come into the spaghetti factory and we would hand them out bags of, of pieces of spaghetti and we would show them this old black and white movie that they'd lost the the verbiage to. And I would like commentate this movie about how spaghetti grew on, grew on trees. But um, so it's... Anyway, so when I got to Huron, which I went to because it was a small school, I just took a three-year English degree. Like, I just couldn't understand why all my friends wanted to go to school for four or five or six years. I was like, get me out of here. I just want to make some money and get on with my adventure. So I did a three-year BA, which I like to say stands for bugger all, uh, (laughs) in English. Well, just because it was just sort of, it was the bare minimum of what you needed to do. Yeah. Right. And I, so I just wanted to do that and be done. And then I traveled by myself for a year because again, I was looking for adventure and I'd save some money to do that. Where did you travel? What did you do? Um, so I went to France. Uh, my grandparents were British. So we had this thing back then that, you know, because I was related to a British person, it was a little bit easier to, to get into, uh, to Britain. So I started there, but, um, Anyway, we traveled around and then I did Australia and New Zealand and, and, you know, again, I could remember, like you either like change and you embrace it or you don't, right? Yeah. And there's a part of me that loves it and a part of me that hates it. And I can clearly, clearly remember sitting on the hovercraft from England to France and thinking, what the hell are you doing, Wildman? Like you're all by yourself. You don't speak French and being scared to death, but just enjoying stretching that muscle of like, okay, well, here you are. How are you going to handle this? But I did make sure that I had a reason to come back. So I'd set up my job with London Life before I left because my dad was a was a uh, sales manager at London Life. And when I had graduated, I'm sure anybody who's graduating from university, if they happen to listen to this, are all going, oh my God, what do I do with myself? Yeah. Which I'm, you know, going through with my kids. And my dad just said to me, Luck. Go get a job with Xerox, P&G, London Life, uh, you know, Sun Life. They'll train you. Then somebody will always take you because you'll have a, a trained position. So before I went traveling, I remember a friend of ours had actually gone to uh, Thailand and India and had unfortunately gotten involved with poppies, the drug. And all of a sudden, nobody knew where he was anymore. And their parents actually had to get on a plane to go and find them. Wow. Yeah. And so this is like 86, 1986. No phones, no credit cards. And I remember thinking, I don't want to lose my way when I go traveling for a year. I don't want to forget that I have real goals and objectives and things that I want to do with my life. And I might. So I had a wedding to come back to. I had this job set up to come back to. Making sure that I would really, really come back and not sort of screw up the rest of of my life. I Um, love that you had a plan to come back. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that funny? I know. I often worry I might go over the deep end. I think my mother worries about that. (laughs) Anyways, so, yeah. So I came back and, you know, honestly, back in the day, two out of 10 people stay in our industry because, I mean, really you're paid to find people and you're cold calling and it's really tough in the beginning. Same as with Xerox, like you're cold calling all the time. And um, I had to write a personality test because London Life knew that certain personalities had a better chance of surviving in the industry. And so I thought, what the heck, man, I'll I'll just, I'll give this a try. It was 100% commission. So you either sink or swim really fast. 
But I did get great, great training and I learned a ton about myself. And then I got addicted to the freedom. I was really, really lucky. I made really good money fast. And you won't believe this, but I took 16 weeks a year off. I mean, what? I, yeah, because you're on commission. You could do whatever you wanted. I would pay my girlfriends to like come away with me. I was like 22 and making some good money. And uh, so it was a really great start. And I was very, very lucky because my dad um, was my trainer. And he wrote articles and talked about body language even before anybody else I knew was. Wow. So, yeah. So I was really, really lucky to have him as a mentor and, and sort of help me along the way. Um and being the only woman in the boardroom, come on, Jen, it's kind of fun. <laughs> you get a lot of attention, and I like attention. Yeah, it is. It can be fun, but it can also be, I think, discouraging in some ways when you realize you've reached the top that you can get to. So, it, like, in my journey, yep. I ended up at Sun Microsystems, and oh, okay. so I was in tech. And yep. uh, when you look at upper-level management – it's all men, all men. Like there was one woman who was a VP of, I think, HR. Yeah. Well, that would be typical for women, right? Yeah. To be on HR. And yeah. there really were no other opportunities. So for me, like I just made the leap to go out on my own because I'm like, there's nothing here for me. I did not enjoy working for a large organization. There were way too many rules to follow. Yeah. And uh, it just made sense to kind of go out on my own. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I do the interviews for the collective, one of the things I, I say to the women is, we're not sorry, we're women. Mm. And we don't hate men. Like there might yeah. be other organizations for that. But I wanted to attract women who notwithstanding that, yeah, maybe there's not as many places in the boardroom for women as there should be. That's not our driving force. Yeah. Our driving force is we want to be the best that we can be regardless and let's go for it. And and so when you go out on your own, there really isn't that glass ceiling. No. The, the only glass ceiling is the one that you make for yourself. Yeah. Right? So, although I will tell you, I remember with some European clients, I brought my dad with me on the appointments because they actually wouldn't look at me when I spoke to them. You know? So, that, like, this was a long yeah, time yeah, ago, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we put up with stuff that nobody would put up with today. And I honestly didn't even think about some of the things that went on at conferences with guys and stuff. But but I also have to say that I really learned when I was at a conference or in an all-male situation that you do have to hold your energy in a certain way. Like, you have to be mindful about how flirtatious you're being or whatever. Because are, are you inviting that... Whether it's right or wrong, are you inviting that that kind of energy back? And so I actually, with my coaches, worked on that a lot. That you know, I was fun, I was approachable, um, but I wasn't a play thing. I, it was it's it's a business thing, right? And I really think that again goes back to my childhood, where I grew up with two brothers and my dad, who was a really big influence in my life. And and you know, my brother, who was physically and and really more emotionally a little bit abusive with me I remember sort of I remember feeling under his control a bit and at the same time wanting his acceptance and I've done a lot of work around really accepting yourself for who you are mm -hmm. and and because there's been many many situations where um I've, I've had that feeling where I'm not enough right and and those are stories that no longer serve 
me or serve a lot of people's stories we take from our childhood. So it's, you have to remember where you came from and why, but then you have to let that go. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Marianne Williamson, who writes that poem about human beings are not actually afraid of their dark side. They're actually afraid of their light and how beautiful they can shine and all of the things they can do. And the courage lies in going for it because there's no guarantee. But going for it, using those special gifts that you know you have and being unapologetic about it and going for it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think there are so many instances and you probably have the same where um, either you're in a relationship or work situation and I have felt like I've had to dim my light to make other people feel more comfortable. And I'm not talking about just men. I'm talking about women too. Oh, yeah. And it does take away from your um, energy and your shine and your progression. And sometimes you just need to stay true to who you are and continue to learn and grow. And so some of these things that have happened in your past, as you said, you have to let go of, and but you also have to know how to move forward with them and still go down that path that you're meant to go down. Look, I don't know how people survive in this world without coaches, without the types mm. of programs that you're now running for people. Um, I have done ton, like since my early twenties, I've had different types of coaches and I've done somatic healing and, and I mean, many, many, I haven't done the traditional psychology and psychiatry and, and cognitive behavior therapy, which I know works very well. I've just, I've chosen to try and grow in other ways. But one of the most meaningful things for me when I belonged to the entrepreneurs organization and we had this fellow come away with us on our retreat is he said to me, Libby, you enter into win-lose relationships and I refuse to be your friend if it's not win-win. And I was like, Colin, what do you mean? And he said, well, you will lose in order for people to win. (laughs) But, But guess what? But you have to hear the second half to that. What it meant was if I was willing to lose and for someone else to win, it meant I was attracting people who thought it was okay for me to lose and them to win. Yeah. And it just went off like a light bulb. So I actually started slowly getting rid of clients who were like that too, because I recognized it was my doing and that took courage, but it just changes then your whole energy, your atmosphere, the joy, the fun you have, you know, who you're interacting with. So, you know, I highly, highly encourage people to engage with people who can help them engage in the kinds of programs that that you're doing because you can't do it on your by yourself you just can't you can't and it's interesting because I was I just interviewed um Shannon Tebb she is a boutique matchmaker and dating coach and oh yeah I listened to that yeah and she she has uh she had a really good point she's like you know you have a coach or a trainer for working out you have a business coach like if you are interested in finding the right person to be in your life, why aren't you getting someone to help you with that? Why don't you have a dating coach? And it's true, you know, like I think, I think if people were to spend more time reflecting on which areas of their life make them happy, which don't, and spend more time on those areas that make them happy and maybe get help with those other areas, you can actually live like a fuller, richer life. A hundred percent. And the really great thing is so much of this stuff is free online. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it's now a habit. I mean, if I'm sad, 
I'll put on my my ear pods and my favorite motivational podcast and and go for a walk and and I'll I'll listen to it again and again, you know, maybe certain paragraphs that one of the speakers will say that resonates with me to just help me to rewire my brain. So you don't have to be able to afford $250 an hour, you know, for a coach. No, it's true. And it's kind of funny because I don't know if you follow Tony Robbins at all, but he has um, this, this one thing where he says like, um, change your state, change your mind. Yeah. So if you are in like a lower energy or lower state, or you have something bad happen, it's like jump in a cold shower, go for a walk, go for a run, get your heart rate up, do something because then you're going to get your body's like natural endorphins going and it is going to change your mind and give you a different outlook and a different perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. Um, Tony's incredibly powerful. He's not my cup of tea. Mm. I did actually read something about somebody who is talking about his particular brand of motivation. And I found it really interesting. And again, it's not carte blanche, but men get very motivated by adrenaline. So when Tony goes, I can climb that mountain, I can do this, I can do that. And in that adrenaline push, that can actually drive some women into more depression. Oh, interesting. This was a physiological thing that I was listening to this from a doctor. And she said, whereas women generally um, are motivated and feel better when they're coming at it from a place of connection and warmth. And so when I was listening to this, this doctor who was talking about it, I trained myself to remember situations or, or, or pictures or times when, you know, I was with a good friend or with my good kids and I felt loving and I felt accepted and I felt comfortable. And, and that's where my motivation comes from, not as much from the adrenaline stuff. So I think, you know, the important thing is you just find whatever it is that works for you. 100%. That's right. Because not everything is going to work for everybody. Right. So I think you're right. Like if you can find what works for you and use that as a tool, like keep it in your toolbox, then it can help you if you're having, if you're struggling at all. So, okay. So let's go back to talking about uh, what you do, getting into that business. What are some things that you love about it? What are some things that you find challenging? Um, I totally love people's stories you know like what we're doing today it's just whether you're coming to my home for dinner which uh i implemented oh gosh i guess it was about four or five years ago you may think this is weird but i believe we all have gifts and i believe that we are all a little bit psychic and i have this thing where if i'm meeting people i will literally have the face of someone else drop down into my mind as to who they should meet So I started doing this and then I thought, instead of me just like emailing these people and saying you should meet, we would have four of them to our place for dinner. And we would have important conversations. Like I might come up with a topic of, okay, who was your favorite mentor? Or what was, you know, an interesting new skill you learned in the last month? And then we would sit around and have these super cool conversations and all these strangers would come to our home and we would cook for them. It was always like kind of a bit bizarre that nobody questioned why they were coming, but they did. And <laughs> they're like, of course. Yeah. But then it just got out like, yeah, yeah. Just like I didn't sell tickets and I cooked and, but we, people would just come together and they would leave and they would say, wow, that was such an important and really, um, unusual feeling to come together and immediately just get into juicy conversations. So 
I think there, there's a real consistency in my life now that everything I do is based around people's stories and what's important to them right now because that's where I can help them and that's where I can learn as well. And then it also allows me to live in my present and what's important to me. So where this has really come from, Janet, is for 35 years I've listened to people tell me about their money stories. And you know this, we all judge ourselves, right, by oh, money? Yeah. yeah, 100%. How much do I make? How many zeros do I have in my bank account? And also that intergenerationally, we are passed on stories. So my grandfather, well, my grandma and my grandpa lost their oldest son, who was age 21, in an, in an accident at, at Western. And my grandfather was going to be moved out west for his job. And my grandmother said, uh-uh, we're not leaving. My son's not even cold in the ground. We're not moving. And so my grandfather's company said, well, we'll accept your resignation on Monday then. And my grandfather was out of a job, and my grandma had never worked before in her life. She actually went on to run the China Department of Burks and worked for them until she was like 85. <laughs> but, um, you know, out of that, they had to they had to change their whole world. And my grandfather cried in front of my father, who would have been like 15 at the time. And my father remembers thinking, I will never be broke. I will never be in that situation uh, where I don't have choices and I don't have any financial backdrop. So my father became a really, really, really good saver. So then, of course, then we became really, really good savers because it was all this tied up fear with these money stories that were actually two generations old. Wow. So one of the things that I love doing with people is unpacking what were the stories they grew up with. Do people, like, I would think people have a tough time sharing that information. Because like you yep. said, we judge ourselves on it. Yep. So it's like, it it would be hard to share that with someone who you're just meeting. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you that people who have $10 million can feel that they're broke. And people that have half a million dollars can feel that they're really wealthy. So it's a very, very, very personal thing. And really where my role is, is to just uncover with people what would make you feel good, what would make you feel comfortable to be able to live your life the way you want to. So um, once we get through people sharing with me how much they make, what do they owe, are they good savers, are they bad savers, you know, we have clients who feel shameful about the fact they inherited money. And, and I know a lot of people will go, what? I would love that. <laughs> but it's not their money. They didn't earn it. So there's no judgment around all of that. But the funny thing is, once we get through the meetings where people share with me their money stories, they're really, really comfortable telling me about, I'm having an affair, or I don't actually like my kids, or I hate my job, or whatever it is. And then as the years pass, because I see people once or twice a year, it's, they're just filling me in on where they are with, with life. And I'm, I'm sort of this trusted source. But so years and years and years of listening to people explain these fears and, and insecurities they have around money and then what their goals are. Like I can tell you women worry about being bag ladies all the time. It's the Whoa, weirdest thing, right? Yeah. And men have different fears about that. Like, are they going to be respected? Um, so it all ties into helping people feel good about ultimately where they want to get to, which is then why I started the retreats. 
Yeah. Oh, so explain what uh, liminal means. What, oh, yeah, How yeah, did yeah, you yeah. come up with that name? Liminal is like my most favorite word. So in COVID, you know, everything shut down. And whenever I feel sorry for myself, I always ask, where, where can I be of service? How can I give back? Other people are worse off than me. What should I be doing? And I came across this word liminal because liminal actually means transition. Our future has changed, but we don't yet know what it's going to look like. So we're all in this transition phase. So liminal escapes is really about the fact that if you are feeling that you're in this stuck place and you want some help, then I will curate a retreat with the appropriate teacher to help you move to where you want to get to. And what I found, because Laurieann King, who's my teacher now that we're running these retreats with, and, and our next one is in January uh, in Negril, Jamaica, she teaches around self-connection, mm-hmm. right? And the three human lies. I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I can't cope. And I can tell you those rotate in my life as to <laughs> which one I'm dealing with. Oh, and, so we don't always have just one? <laughs> no. And as soon as you conquer one, it'll like come back to you again at some point in the future. But hopefully you can actually get back into alignment a lot faster with the tools and the practices that you learn. But so the issue is if we can work on self-connection and actually feel good about ourselves, then we can also work our way through these money issues. And abundance will come into all areas of your life, relationship, jobs, money, or you'll at least feel peace with where you're at. I mean, it's not magical, like, oh, I want a Mercedes and it's gonna show up in my driveway. You have to follow through on those sorts of things with what I say is divine action. So. Um, you know, if I really, really, really want a Mercedes, then I'm going to take the actions every day to make enough money to get that Mercedes because that's my goal. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if we can really have self-connections, accept ourselves for where we are, it is amazing how much that flows through to the financial areas of our life. So how is it that like people obviously trust you to share this information? Um, you have clients whom you've worked with for years. What, what would you say, like, what is the value that you bring? Like, how do you differentiate yourself? Why are people so trusting of you? Well, I think the fact that people are just naturally trusting is, is one of the things and that I'm truly interested in their story. So I'm not presenting a solution and a product. We spend mm. many, many hours just getting to know people. And, and sometimes that includes their parents or their kids Um, or, you know, other important people in their lives. But you spend a lot of time understanding the why before you you implement the how. So, you know, I'll give you an example of a client who has a business and they've got two kids in the business and one out of the business. There's probably been a year of conversations uh, where we're trying to figure out, so what do we do about the child who's not in the business? Yeah. And every if you leave the business to the two kids who are in the business, everybody goes, oh, lucky them. But here's the funny thing. The two kids in the business are going, are you kidding me? So, Dad, when you die, my sibling's going to get a check for a whole bunch of cash, and we inherit the business. Great, but we're going to have to work our ass off to make sure this business actually stays what if it went under and my sibling just gets cash so you know and then going through all the different scenarios of those siblings and what's going on and then we have parents who are worried about giving their kids money because they think it might ruin them they might become drug addicts they might become lazy they might whatever right i mean if you watch succession 
on Netflix. I haven't watched that. Oh my God. It's all about, apparently it's on the Murdoch, uh, Rupert Murdoch family, apparently. But, but again, it's, it's, it's uh, a caricature of where money has actually really screwed up a family. But so we work with people and understanding what does money mean to you? So do we need to save more? Do we need to invest more? Do we need to give money away? Um, do you want to pass on money while you're alive? Do you not? Um, you know, trying to get sometimes the parent to retire from a business so that the kids will uh, be allowed to work in it. I mean, you look at you look at um, Queen Elizabeth, who will not step down for Prince Charles. <laughs> like that's such a classic family business thing that we see all the time. You know, I'm thinking like if Charles was really a big and confident person, he would just bypass himself when Queen Elizabeth dies and, and hand it on to William. But there's no way, man. No, he, he is no. hanging on. That's He's not, hanging on. That's not gonna happen. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think you're right. Like, I think it's it's interesting because you come from a very creative space. Like, you're very creative mm-hmm. and you're very, like, outgoing and friendly. And it's interesting that you're in this financial industry because that's not what I would typically generalize or characterize as someone in that space. So you're going to laugh. One of the things I actually did with one of my coaches quite a few years ago is I had a hang up again from my older brother that I wasn't interesting. So my coach actually had me ask 10 people to write letters about why I was interesting. And it, it wasn't meant to be complimentary, right? Yeah. It's not like I'm asking people to say night, but just like why I was interesting. Of course, one of my girlfriends said, well, you being divorced twice is interesting. I'm like, yeah, that'd be true. That'd be true. But um, yeah, so I, I think being creative about the solutions to people's problems um, is what I'm good at and I enjoy. And, and money is just another problem. It could be your health, right? It could be a broken marriage. It could be estrangement from your children. It, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just another problem. And so I think if we, the more I can get to know somebody, the easier it is for me to solve that problem by understanding um, how they feel about it. So that's there, I think there's a creativity in that, right? And I yeah. also... Well, there should be. Yeah. But, you know, when I asked you the value question, like, I think I think part of the value that you add, I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but it's that you actually care. Like, you also care about your clients. Yeah. So you want to hear their stories. You want to hear... Uh, you want to figure out what's best for them. Because it's an honor. Yeah. Like, in my world... I feel so complimented when somebody will share a story with me, that they trust me that much, that I'm entering the tent with them and they know that, you know, everything is confidential, so I can't share anything with anybody. I don't charge by the hour, so I'm cheaper than a shrink. <laughs> and, uh, but I really, really consider that an honor. And I can tell you other extremely successful people in our business, they might actually honor something else. But, yeah. but So I'm only going to attract the people that want to share stories and solve their, their problems that way. It's, um, you know, it's funny, like, you know, we talk about our past and we are the way we are. So I was having a relationship with somebody and, um, I was trying to figure out, you know, why I'd had these two marriages and what's my problem. Do I have a commitment issue? And because I'm very, very family oriented. And what I found out with one of my teachers was 
me being able to be me was one of the most important things in my life. I had to feel that I was accepted and loved for me. And I didn't feel those in, in those marriages, unfortunately. It didn't make them bad people. We just were not a good combination. But I had a relationship with somebody where um, they had left the marriage, but then they went back to the marriage because, as my teacher said to me, just because the most important thing to you is to be accepted and be able to be you, it's not to everybody else. And yeah. to this individual, the most important thing to them was commitment. They had made a commitment and they couldn't live with themselves by not staying in that commitment. Mm. So again, part of the creativity that I love about what I do with people is finding out what's most important to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one. Cause you know what? I've always wondered why people stay when they're not happy, but they don't, they if, don't feel they have the right to leave. Yeah. That commitment in piece. some circumstances. So, you know, my, my dad taught me the golden rule is do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. But the platinum rule is do unto others as they would have done unto themselves. What a difference. Yeah. It's huge. Wow. So I, I always remember that now. It doesn't really matter how I want to be treated. It's how the person sitting in front of me wants to be treated. Yeah. It, it is in like your own personal relationships, but you're right. When you have a client, it's like, how, how do they want to be treated? That's yeah. interesting. I think it goes through all aspects of life, you know. I mean, unfortunately, my parents have been divorced. I've been divorced. And so my daughter was saying to me, well, I guess I'll get divorced. And I'm like, no, you don't need to get divorced. And, and I really, really hope that this next generation of young people uh, are going to turn around this number of 50% of people who are divorced because they don't have to. But I, but I said to her, here are my learnings. When you make a lifelong commitment with somebody or enter into a relationship, Love them for who, already, who they already are and make sure they love you for who you already are because a lot of women are fixers, right? Like yeah. I could see the beauty in this person and if only I could help them. Oh, and, I've fallen into that. Right? Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> you're a fixer. You're a fixer. Yeah, it's, it's true. So, it's really important. You know, this whole thing about be you and don't hide who you are either. Because I think a lot of people do that. They are one way. And then down the road, you get into a relationship with them. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, now I'm going to go back to being me. Yeah. Well, my favorite is that I shared with Shani on the podcast was around, um, you know, it's stereotypical. The girl that pretends that she likes sports yeah. to be with the guy. Yeah. And then they end up getting married. And the guy's like, hey, you want to go to the baseball game, babe? And she's like. I don't like baseball. And he's yeah. like, what? Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I think there's just so much fear around being yourself. And I think the fear comes from a place of feeling like you might get rejected. And listen, working in sales, sales is all about getting rejected, yeah. right? And yeah. all about the numbers. Yeah. So how do you deal with rejection? Yeah. You know, again, my, my, my dad had a lot of really great sayings. And, and one of them is... You, don't, you never make the right decision in your life. You don't have the right parents. You don't have the right friends. You don't have the right job. You didn't go to the right school. But what you do is you make a decision and then you work your ass off to make it right. And the second it's no longer right, I can't tell you how fast decisions fall apart, right? So again, I think it's a muscle and it's a skill to make a decision and then work hard to make that decision right. 
Um, because we're all born in different circumstances and why does the person who was born with nothing end up being this hugely wealthy person and why does somebody else who's born wealthy ends up, you know, having a lot of problems? I don't know. I was waiting for the answer. I don't know. I was like, Libby, don't well, I don't know. Answer? But yeah. all I know is I can be responsible for myself. Yeah. And I truly believe if you want to use sports analogies, which, you know, we were lucky enough, you and I'd have coaches at in competitive level of sports that they, 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 first of all, they teach you how to do something. And then once you become really, really good at it, you put your own spin on it. But to begin with, you learn from people who have already been successful at it. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. But do you think, um, so do you think um, from your competitive sports background, how has that helped you in business? Oh my gosh, because I'm just driven. And, and again, in my industry, we used because I've done a lot of public speaking about it. Um, we used to say, if your fear of failure is larger than your fear of rejection, you'll be okay. So that's where it comes back to: <coughs> Do you have the right personality to be in sales? And if not, no shame. Yeah. Leave it. Go do something else. Yeah, I don't. It's interesting because <coughs> I've always been told that I should be in sales, but uh, I'm like, I don't want to be in sales. <laughs> But people are like, no, you have the personality to do it. But I'm the type of person, like, even when I have been in sales, it's like, I'll try to sell you something. And if you're like, no, I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah, but you know what, Janet? If if maybe you're not good at sales, because you do have that extroverted personality, maybe you're good at coaching salespeople. Mm. Like, I just think we, you know, one of the biggest problems I see for young people trying to figure out what they want to do is we're all saying to that generation, Oh, go find your passion, find out what you love to do, and then figure out a way to make money about it. And I kind of call bullshit on that for the first 10 years of your working life. Because it's like, no, you actually just need to go and figure out what you like and you don't like. And as one of my teachers, Jill McCabe, said, eat from the buffet in your 20s. Yeah. Try things. If you don't like it, say, great. Okay, so now that's not going on my plate next time. But keep trying stuff and finding out what you're good at and you're not good at. Because then you can, down the road, build something around what you're really good at. But I think we're doing a disservice to people to say, just go do what you're passionate about. There's a certain number of hours you have to put into something to be good at anything. Yeah, and I think there's two really good points coming out of that. Is like One is, like you, when you went into, I think it was Sun Life for Training, right? London Life. London, yeah. London yeah. Life for Training. Um, I also worked at a bank in training and there are certain things from these large organizations where you do get a skill set that can carry you throughout your entire career. So working for a large organization at the start of your career can actually be beneficial because especially they give the best training. And secondly, you know, right now everybody wants to be an influencer. Everyone wants to be a creator. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. And what I am seeing is there are some amazing creative people out there, 100%. But there are also a lot of people that are lacking basic business skills. Like even the skill of if someone, um, like say for example, Libby, you said, Janet, um, I know you want to do X. I have someone who can help you with you. I'll connect the two of you, and then I don't follow up with them. Yep. Like, that is a poor networking, 
it reflects badly on you because you've made the referral. And so people just need to know, like, no, just do the follow-up. It may or may not go anywhere, and that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Right? But that's a skill that you learn working at a large organization. Because if you don't get back to someone, your boss is going to hear about it. <laughs> I did I did a really interesting exercise, um, again, with my coach during COVID, Jill McCabe, where she had us write letters to our stories to ourselves about where we felt proud of ourselves. And so one of them for me, and again, I just it's like so reflective of my childhood, but we grew up at cottaging in this place called Geneva Park, which is a YMCA place in, in Aurelia, and they had a water ski jump there. And I wanted, again, to impress my dad. So I was like the youngest person and the only girl to go over this water ski jump. And I remember, I can still in my head hear these wooden skis going off this wooden ramp into the air. And you weren't supposed to look down because if you did, you'd fall flat in your face. You had to stay looking at the horizon. And I landed this thing and just thinking, oh my God, why do I do these things to myself all the time? But then feeling so proud. And, and so, you know, again, in hindsight, I can look at all these characteristics and say, um, so what, what kinds of things do I know I'm going to survive and be good at? But my younger brother, Matthew, who's such an incredible guy, he went traveling out west when he was 18 by himself, because I went traveling around the world by myself at 18, and he got out there and he hated it. He was miserable because he loves being at home. He's just a grounded person. That's where he needs to be. But he was so embarrassed to let our family know that he hated being out there and he was miserable that he phoned my grandmother who said, well, I'm not flying you home, but I'll give you the money to take the bus home. So he was like four days coming home on the bus. But I remember saying, Matt, you do you. Yeah. Like, don't try and be me. And, you know, it's funny because I'm like one of the most insecure people you could meet. Scratch an extrovert and you'll find an insecure person. And so I was like, why are you trying to be me? Me's not so great. Yeah. Right? Like, well, and there's that quote out there that's saying that something like, um, be you, everyone else is taken. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's absolutely. true. And, and it, it does come back to, to being like, if you can be more of yourself more of the time, you will probably have a higher chance of finding what you love or doing what you love or finding someone you love, being with someone that you love. For a longer time period. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's another, uh, uh, one of my favorite, favorite philosophers who's been gone for a long time, Phil Watt. And if you look it up and it, he's got a little, well, lots of people have, have taken his words and put it onto beautiful YouTube movies, but it's called If Money Were No Object. And he goes on to say, you know, I ask students, what would they like to do when they grow up? And they say, well, I would like to be an artist or I'd like to ride horses. And they say, but I can't do that because I won't get, won't make any money. And so they end up, you know, having parents who go and do these jobs that they hate doing to make enough money to pay for the bills, to keep going to work. And then the, they teach their kids to do the same thing. And as Phil says, it's all wretch and no vomit. Like there's no, <laughs> that's my favorite part of it. There, there, nobody's making a change in their lives. And so he talks about in this particular episode, if you go and do things with horses and you love it and you put the time in it and you become the best that you can at it, you will most likely figure out a way to make money at it. But there is that effort and that time, right? And so... 
I don't know what age, Janet, you know, you get to the point I'm 55 where I'm actually comfortable without feeling conceited about it that I know what I'm good at now. Like I know what I can give. I know what I want to do for the next 10 or 15 years of my life. How do I give back? Well, I still have the energy and the wisdom and people don't think I'm an old bag yet, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I really, really want to spend my time doing that stuff, even if I'm uncomfortable. So it's, it's harder when you're younger to be able to identify what you're good at um, and then and then really go for it. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Although I, like, I think when I was younger, I just was so full of confidence. And even when I Your worked at, like... Your sports probably brought that Yeah, too. yeah. And, and I also grew up in a super small town, so lots of opportunities there. And very fortunate to have been surrounded by a lot of people that really believed in me and gave me extra time um, because they... They saw something in me that I probably didn't even see in me, and maybe I still don't see it, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that and the one thing I tell, like, young people all the time, especially if they're starting their own business, like, if you are good at what you do, if you are really good at what you do, you will always have work. Yeah, absolutely. Always. People will refer business to you. If people like you, they'll refer business to you. And it's like, I think when I started my e-learning consulting business, I... I didn't even have a website. I had no website. I didn't have a business card. Yeah. I was using my um, personal email, like a rogers.com email. And that business I grew to over six figures in under a year because wow. I was good at what I did and it was all referral based. So I didn't have to spend all of this time on social media trying to chase customers or find customers. It just happened naturally. And I think, you know, with Orange Fish, that business has been like so much more of a struggle to find the right customer. And I feel like that was more, definitely more chasing, but it also wasn't my natural skill set. Yeah. I, I, uh, after my two marriages and I was like, what's my problem? I found this book, Alison Armstrong, who writes about celebrating men, I think, and understanding women or celebrating women, understanding men. Anyway, she studied men and women for a long, long time, and, and I thought, well, maybe I don't understand men, and I've got two boys, and it would be good for me to understand the way men think and these stages that they go through. And um, one of the things that, that I learned from her was, for instance, young boys, the worst thing for them is boredom. Like when they jump off the house into the pool, it's not because they're trying to drive their mother crazy. They're just bored. That's the worst thing that could happen to them, right? And when men come to pick you up for a date. Now, this is going to sound very like generalization, but you get in the car and men cannot immediately get into a deep, deep conversation until you're actually seated at the dinner table. You have a drink in front of you. And now they can focus because their whole thing is in life that they want to be your hero and get you safely to where it is that they need to get you. And then you can start talking. Right. Whereas women, you can get in a cab with a stranger and all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, I've been divorced twice and I've got problems with my kids. And you just immediately start sharing in that. But um, so there, there's a lot of people out there that can that can help you figure stuff out. But the, the one the other thing that I learned from her that I really loved is people are not misbehaving on purpose. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody does something, it's usually they're they're. There's something going on with them. And um, I just think it's really important to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and you be you. But the biggest thing that struck me is when she said, do you know 
what people find most attractive. And it's not whether you have the best body or the nicest hair or the best clothes. She said, it's your energy mm. and your joie de vivre. So whether that's in a job, in a relationship, anything, people pick up on people who are just generally happy to be where they are and are doing things that bring them joy. And so that's another thing, which is maybe why sometimes at the end of the day, you know, I might be a little bit exhausted because I'm, I'm so turned on during the day being in that place. But I think it's important for people to remember it's not who's the smartest. Yeah. It's not who's the most beautiful. It's not, it's really those people that you just go, I don't know, but I like being around them. I just like being in their energy circle. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very true and interesting. And it doesn't mean that you have to be an extroverted energy circle. There are incredibly quiet people. <laughs> this will sound so funny, but that I, I love spending time with. And, and in fact, they're really, really interesting because most people don't take the time to spend uh, what's going on in their mind and what do they think and what's important to them because they're, they're not this loud, extroverted person. So so it's again, it's another skill set that I, I, I'm very conscious of and I'm very aware of. What's my energy? What are the other people? Who am I hanging with? Like I'm really very careful. And, and you know, unfortunately, I've let a couple of friendships go mm. where those people are negative or we're just not serving each other anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not making their, them happy and they're not making me happy. So just because we've been friends for a long time, let's just let each other go. Yeah. It's also too, like, I don't know if you feel this way, but as you get older, your time becomes much more precious. Yeah. And so you want to be very mindful of where you're spending time and what you're doing with that time. And for me personally, like, I don't need to talk on the phone every day with the same person. There's yeah. not that much that's happening, yeah. but there are people that love that and that's okay. And those people can find each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I no, mean? exactly. So, but it's like, that's not my thing. So you're right. Like, I think sometimes maybe you just outgrow friendships, right? Any kind of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I've, you're not working I, at it. I've, I've outgrown relationships with myself where I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm actually kind of done with that part of myself. And, you know, I will consciously try and shed that part of myself because I'm like, it's it's actually no longer serving me. That's a really, really so, good point. You can tell I've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> well, you've been, you've done a lot of personal development work. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So what do you think, if you were to think back, what do you think has been the biggest challenge that you encountered and how did you overcome it? Oh, that's, that's, you know, that's a toughie. I think the biggest challenge... I've had is the fact that I was a single mom for a lot of years and I really, really wanted to be this amazing mom and be very, very close with my children. And I also wanted to be this amazing business person and I am driven by money. I wanted to make a lot of money because I enjoy giving money away. I enjoy going on adventures. I enjoy giving my kids experiences. And so those things all cost money and I couldn't do both. I just couldn't. And I remember when my daughter was quite young and she was like, why can't you stay at home like all the other moms? And I remember going, oh, God, stabbed to the heart. <laughs> but, you know, she just didn't understand. And, and so I think it's really hard because there is no balance. I really, I call bullshit on I a balanced too. life. Right? Yeah, I do too. So what I say is some weeks I'm balanced with work. Some weeks I'm balanced with life and my family. But it, it doesn't generally 
happen at the same time, but I've become much better at communicating and saying, you know, this is actually a really bad week work-wise because I've got a whole bunch of things I really want to do. And I will say I want to do, not have to do, because I don't want the people in my life to think, oh, she hates what she's doing. I'm like, no, these are the things I want to do this week to accomplish certain things. But next week's a great week. So, you know, why don't we make plans? And I'm so I'm just much better at communicating that stuff. But I think that was really my biggest challenge um, because both those relationships are important to me, being a, a really good mom, daughter, sister, friend, and being a really um, successful career person. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I also, um, like, I appreciate what you said about the balance thing because I believe that too. Like, there's we've been listening to this work-life balance thing for way too long. <laughs> like, it just yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Anytime it comes up on an agenda somewhere, it's like, ah, I'm not going to that conference or that meeting or whatever. But the other thing that I kind of uh, am tired of is this whole idea of you don't have to hustle to be successful. <laughs> and I'm like, who's teaching people that? Because yeah. I feel like in the very beginning when you start your business, you better be hustling. And, yeah. you, and it shouldn't feel like a hustle because you should love what you do. You know? Yeah, I think, you know, listen, in your 20s and 30s, if a career or a business is important to you, those are the years where you do. You got to work your ass off and, uh, you know, earn your stripes, get those number of hours in, become good at what at what you do, build a reputation, you know, for following through, doing what you say. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you can choose how, how you run the rest of your life, but yeah, it's completely unrealistic to think it's all just going to magically happen. Without, <laughs> You're you just going to end up on a yacht with a bottle exactly. of champagne exactly. every weekend with your friends. <laughs> that would become boring. After it actually <laughs> That's what I think too. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I'm really aware of your time today, Libby. I do have one more question for you. Okay. And I stole it from Tim Ferriss. But if you had a billboard, a great big billboard, downtown Toronto, what would you put on that billboard? Well, if, if, if we're sort of thinking about that as an epitaph, like on my, on my gravestone, um, and this is a bit to my detriment, but I, I will help you if I can. And, and sometimes I deplete myself by doing that, and I've gotten better at, at being able to recognize who I can help and who I can't, or when I've helped I've said yes to too many, but that really gives me an incredible amount of joy if something I say or do allows somebody to move forward in something that is important for them to do. So um, I would, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, I will help you if I can. Yeah, I like that too. Imagine though, if we, if everybody thought that way. God, it would be a reciprocal world, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be super cool. Like so much good would be done. We'd be looking at like our communities and giving more care and just coming from a place of service and help, which would be amazing. Absolutely. So Libby, thank you so much for your time. Oh if people goodness, want to, you. oh, before I forget, if yep. people want to get in touch with you, what's yep. the best way to learn more about you or? Well, you know what, as I say, there's not a lot of wild mans in the world. So if you look up Libby Wildman on LinkedIn, that's probably the easiest way to, to get in touch with me. And uh, if I can help you, I will. And if I can't, I will let you know and I will introduce you to somebody who can, if I can. So <laughs> there you go. Great, thank you so much, Libby. Oh, thanks, Janet.